0: Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope that this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast, and enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Hey, great to be with you. Um, Hey, we're uh we're in the middle of a sermon series. Before we get there, I want to share a couple things that uh, are just helping us as the Valley take a step forward. And one is that uh, Alan and Kim Leach have been here on a residency for uh, about three months, a pastoral residency, and uh, they just extended that. We've extended that with them, and they've agreed to that. They're going to be in residency for 12 months and help launch the Sydney campus, which is a really big deal. Yes. Alan and Kim uh, have been in pastoral ministry about 30 years, and uh, both are pastors, and they're just going to add such a a strength uh, to the team uh, going into that Sydney launch. You know that starts in September. It's actually underway now in the gym. The services have started, but they actually launch in September. Just so exciting to see what God is doing, how he's preparing the team. And we think it'll be a large launch, and so it's going to take a strong team to make that happen. So we just are very uh, excited to have you. Welcome, Alan Kim, to the Longer Residency, and they just bring such a tremendous skill set. There's something else I'm excited about, and that is every summer, we'd like pick a really hard series to work through, and uh, well, maybe this is it, but uh, the one we're in. But there's another one coming called Tough Times, and uh, it's going to be on the book of Job, and I'm, I just want you to know, I'm excited about this series. It's going to be six weeks. We usually do series for four weeks. This is a six-week deep dive into the book of Job, because here's what I've discovered. Every one of us know people going through tough times. And, and they're going through difficult times. And the, the, the thing is, they get angry. Have you noticed that? When people go through tough times, they often get angry at God. They have more questions than answers. And, uh, and they're looking for answers. So as we dive through the book of Job, as we take a look, we're going to discover what does God want to say to us about suffering in this book. So you might want to start reading that book, start working through that. And we're going to answer the questions that we can we'll find that there's some unanswerable questions. Like we won't get total satisfaction, okay? That's just not what happens in this world. But we're going to figure out, what does God want us to do? And how can he maybe use the things that we go through for our own good? So we're going to uh, deep dive into, into the book of Job. Hope you'll bring somebody for the series. That starts not next week, but the week after. Love for you to invite somebody who's going through a tough time, a difficult time. We all know someone like that, and help them discover a purpose in it. Help them not just to go through it, but to grow through it. You have that opportunity, so I want you to begin to think and pray about who you're going to invite to that series. (laughs) Well, speaking of series, we're in the elephant in the room. This is a three-week series, hard-hitting topics that, that are kind of difficult. These are the kind of topics that you just don't bring up at Thanksgiving. Like, it just gonna, it's just going to kill the vibe, and there's going to be a fight. That's kind of what this series is all about, except we hope there won't be any fights. That, that's not what we're aiming for. I just want you to know that. But we're looking at some really hard topics. And today we're going to look at living together, cohabitation. And, uh, you know, I want you to hear our heart on this series. There, there, there's a, there are a lot of voices that come at us, and we want to figure out which ones should we listen to and which ones shouldn't we listen to. This series is, a, is about us sharing what we understand from Scripture about what God's plan is. And here's the thing it goes against. What the world says—it goes against what culture right now, the the current of culture about what we ought to do, how we ought to live—and uh, so so this is a little bit countercultural. In fact, I want to share this scripture, and my clicker's still not working, so you're probably going to have to help me through this. And it says this: it says there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And so the reason we're doing this series isn't because we want to rail against something that's happening in the world. It's not because we're angry about something. It's because we see a lot of broken lives. We see a lot of people in pain, and we want to help that. We want to make a difference. Like we want to share truth that will keep people from being broke on the, on the decisions and the choices that they make. And so we're going to celebrate what God's plan is. And the truth is, this series would be easier just to keep on the shelf. Let me, let me tell you, um, we could just keep this one on the shelf and move on. But the reality is that we've promised you at the valley, you always get the straight scoop based on what God has to say about things. And so that's what we're going to do in this. Because I want you to know that when we withhold what we know, then then we're really not expressing love. And so that's what the the, the heart of this series is. I want you to hear that. And I, I want you to know we respect your choice. Like as we go through this series, you may not agree with where we've landed scripturally. You may not agree with the conclusions. That's a choice that you get to make. Here's what I would ask. I would ask you to respect our earnest effort to try to understand what Scripture has to say and then apply it to your life. Because we're trying to do this in an honest way. So, so that's, we're going to respect each other. We're going to dive into a really hard topic. And you may not land there today. You may, this may move you. It may not move you. But I want you to hear this. This is because we don't want to see people broken. Because we know that God loves each one that He's created in His image. And He loves you. And He wants you to live your very best life life. So today, we're going to look at cohabitation. And the question you might be asking is, why is this even on the list? I thought this was a foregone conclusion. Like, like, I don't understand why we're even having that conversation. So if you can click me to the next slide, and maybe we can fix the clicker, pull that in and out and see if it works. A few tech problems today. By the way, the screen was not anybody's problem back there. We had a, a computer do one of those deals. And uh, so, just so you understand, these guys are like world-class back there. Hopefully, they can get my clicker working. But I want you to understand, (laughs) that's above and beyond. I get it. I get it. 65% of those who are married today in the U.S. will live together. They will live together first. And there's over 10 million unmarried couples that are living together cohabitation is, oh, there it goes, cohabitation or living together is more common among younger age groups. The highest rates are between ages 25 to 34. So what's that say? The trend line is, boom, living together. In fact, in the 60s, I think it was like 9% of people lived together before marriage. Then in the 80s, it went to 49%. And today it's like 65 and climbing. So the trend is like living together is the way to go. When I was a a young pastor 20 years ago, uh, I'm still a young pastor today, I get it. (laughs) Okay, that's a bad dad joke. When I started 20 years ago in pastoral ministry, when we did, it was the exception when we when we did premarital counseling to marry people, that they had lived together first. Like, that was just a few. I remember working with Pastor Paul, the founding pastor, trying to figure out, what, what do we do in this kind of a situation? What do we, how, do we, how do we guide? How do we understand that? Because it's, it's more complex than just black, you know. I know everybody thinks everything's black and white. Well, there's some nuances to things. There's some subtleties. Not everybody's life's the same. And I'm not saying truth changes, but how you apply it gets a little interesting at times. And you're trying to figure out what's best. There's children involved. There's not children involved. There's There's a, it just goes on and on and on. So we're trying to figure this out. That was the exception. Today, it's almost the rule that when we uh, meet people that want to get married, almost without exception, they're living together. And so we're in just a different landscape. In fact, people don't think really twice about that anymore. According to Barna, and this is a researcher, a Christian researcher, that that, uh, polls everybody in the United States. Um, they say this, the majority of American adults believe that cohabitation is generally a good idea, and two-thirds of adults either strongly agree or somewhat agree that it's a good idea to live together with one significant other before being married. And so that's the landscape we find ourselves in, right, wrong, or indifferent, di- this is where we're at. As a, as a nation, as a people, as, as a culture, we've decided that living together is the best approach. To, to relationship. And so we're going to take a look at that. That's where we dive into this whole thing. So that's where we come in to this whole thing. So we're going to answer three questions today. Here are the three questions. First, what is God's plan for family and relationship? I, I happen to believe that God's plan is best since he created all of us and he created relationship. So he designed it and the designer always knows how the thing works. And so we're going to take a look through God's lens. What did it, how did he create marriage? How did he create relationship? What what's best for all of us. And then secondly, even if you hear that and you decide, well, you know, that's, uh, I'm not sure I I trust that enough to take that step, then we're going to take a look at secular data. Does living together actually work? Like, like what does Barnabas say? What does census data? What, what do the facts on the ground say as far as not related to Scripture? And then third, what are some steps forward if I choose to to do something different? Whether I'm living together and I decide that's not God's plan and I want to do it differently, or I'm thinking about living together. What, what do I do differently? How do I take a next step? So, that's that's where we come into this whole thing. And so, We're going to start with God's Word, and uh, He really lays out the foundation for relationship in Genesis chapter 2. So this is the beginning of God's Word, his, His truth to us. He shares His plan with us, and right at the beginning, He creates the whole world. He creates all that's in it, and He creates mankind. When He creates the world, He said it's good. When He creates mankind, He said it is very good. And then when he sees that Adam is alone, mankind is alone, he says, that's not good. And so he takes a rib out of the man and makes woman and creates a companion, a helpmate, and not in an insignificant kind of way, not in a demeaning way, not in a subordinate way, but a but a helpmate for Adam. He creates relationship and this is what he says it ought to look like he says that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh see god's plan is that there would be one man and one woman becoming one flesh and this isn't you say well you cherry picked a verse this is all the way through scripture so this is threaded all the way through in lots of different ways but that is God's plan which is amazing to me is that as we take a look at that what he chose to use he says you will leave your mother and father that means forsake your mother and father it doesn't mean you hate him it doesn't mean I'll never have a relationship or I won't go for father's day you know I'm not going to go to the cookout that's not what that means you see, there was such a respect for your mother and father and that culture that what God is clearly laying out is, is it's extra significant. You're going to leave these, all these other relationships, not in the sense that you'll never have anything to do with them again, but you're going, to, you're going to make this the primary bond, the primary relationship in your life. You're going to forsake all the other relationships at the high level, and you're going to, you're going to choose one. And, and then it says that, that they're going to unite. They're going to join together. They're going to become one, which is such a mystery. Like how, how did two people become one? But there's a bonding that occurs that God does in mysterious way when they make that commitment. And so, that uniting is about making a covenant commitment. We're going to talk about what that means. A covenant commitment to each other that through thick and thin, through whatever happens, we're, we're going to make this the primary relationship in our life. And as part of that, there's sexual intimacy. As part of that whole marriage relationship, there's sexual, sexual intimacy. That, as the man and the woman come together, and, and they make that commitment. Then when they have sexual intimacy... It will. There will be a bond that's like superglue in their lives. See, sex is a valuable part of marriage. It's a superglue kind of deal. It's not the only part of marriage, but it is a part of marriage that's important. When I was a kid, I used to do these model cars. And they all have plastic parts, and I was pretty liberal with the superglue. I want to make sure that part didn't fall off. Problem was, some of them I got in the wrong places. I'm not a mechanic, okay? Give me a break. And uh, so, I glued these things together and had to try to pull it apart. You ever try to pull plastic apart that's been super glued? All you do is break the plastic parts. But honestly, that's what sex does. It's like a glue between two souls. And that's, you want to know how deep it gets? Like you say, what's what's the worst sin? Well, I I don't know if this is the worst sin as far as rating it, but I will tell you the most destructive sin. Look what it says. Paul's telling the church in Corinth because they've messed this up time and time again, and there's destruction. And Paul's got a pastor's heart. He can't stand to see these people broken and hurting. And so he's sharing with them, hey, run from sexual sin. No other sin. So clearly affects the body as this one does. And he's not talking just the physical body, but all that it constitutes who you are for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body see what happens when there's sexual sin and that's any sin outside of the covenant relationship of marriage the way god designed it there's going to be brokenness there's going to be brokenness because those relationships aren't going to last they're not in they're not they're not ever going to come to the level that god has created them to come and so there's going to be this bond that's created but it's going to break it's just gonna break and there's gonna be brokenness. And so, some people, I want you to understand if, if, if you're involved in any kind of, of, of sexual intimacy or relationship or acts outside of God's plan, you're, you're hurting yourself. You're breaking who you are. And somebody, a lot of people don't understand that that's like the sin that will break you the most. And so, if you wanna, if you really wanna be broken, don't listen to that verse. Um, it wasn't long ago I had, I don't know if it was cold, sore, or what. You know, yeah, I hate those things. You get those, and like, all of a sudden, the skin dries up, and you got this skin. So you're like, i got to get that out of it. I can feel that. I don't like that. So you start working it, right? And Come on, we all know it. You're trying to get that thing off, and all of a sudden, it's there it is. And like you, you want to just kind of just lose it. Well, I did that this last time. Unfortunately, it was tied to some real skin, (laughs) some living skin. And I thought, I'll just pull that off. It's dead enough. I'm just going to get it out of the way. And so I yanked, and I pulled my lip right off. Not the whole thing. I still have most of it. (laughs) That was painful. Because you know what I did? I tore the flesh right off. That's what sexual sin is. That's what sin, that's what sex outside of marriage is. It's, you create such a bond with another person that when that breaks, it's like ripping. I can't do it. (laughs) Got to go this way. It's like ripping it right off. And we wonder why we're so broken. We wonder why we're so hurting. It's because we've got against God's plan. And so what God is creating from the get-go, because he designed all this, he knows, is covenant marriage. Now, I want you to understand what covenant marriage is. It's a formal commitment. Like it isn't, uh, we just slid into this deal. No, this is a formal commitment. I've chosen to forsake all others. Like I'm going to publicly state this and we're going to, hey, this is a formal commitment to leave all the other options behind to be primary in my life and to make this one as good as it can be. And I think that's kind of unwritten. You don't pull that in there, but but the reality is that part of the marriage covenant says, I'm going to do everything I can to make this the real deal. I'm going to do everything I can to make this marriage relationship all that it could be. It's a binding promise that says, I'm in for life. And I just tell you that that commitment, which is lacking if we're straight up in cohabitation and living together. It's it's that permanence and commitment that actually bring the deep joy and soulmate kind of relationship that all of us are looking for. Because isn't that what we want? our souls to be intertwined with another person, so that we're not alone. See, God put that in you. He designed you with that. So, if you're looking for that, that's because that's how He made you. I, I recently read a book called Extreme Ownership, written by a couple SEALs, uh, SEAL commanders. They, they, uh, they then begin to apply this, the leadership principles they learned in commanding SEAL teams uh, over more zones, and they apply it to business leadership decisions. And so, I love reading that stuff. I'm reading through, and it was fascinating what they said about teamwork. They said the teams that were most effective exhibited extreme ownership. Extreme ownership is just simply, they didn't just do what they were responsible for. They went way beyond that. They did whatever it took to accomplish the mission. They used whatever resources, whatever people, whatever systems, whatever assets, whatever they had to do, they brought it to bear because they... They were responsible, but they were, went beyond that. They, were, they owned the mission, and they developed solutions and came up with answers to problems because it drove them because they wanted to get the, the job done. They didn't blame, and they didn't make excuses, <laughs> and they put their own egos in the back seat to accomplish the mission. And I got to thinking, I don't think there's a better description of what covenant marriage is. Covenant marriage is a man and a woman coming together and being united, forsaking all the other relationships they could have at that top level, coming together and uniting and saying, I'm going to take extreme ownership for this covenant marriage. And I'm gonna do all that I can do. And I'm not gonna make excuses. I'm not gonna say it's all them. I'm gonna let my ego at the door and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make this covenant marriage work. That's God's plan for marriage, which is why living together is the exact opposite. It's saying, I don't wanna commit. It's saying, I don't really want to take extreme ownership of this deal. I'm just going to test drive this thing and see what's happening. But here's the problem. God doesn't honor that. God doesn't honor that. And when you get to the place where you need God to step in, when you're outside of his will, that doesn't happen. And every marriage, if it goes long enough, is going to need that. You see, over 40, 50 years, selfishness comes into the relationship, and it breaks stuff. And problems come in, circumstances, maybe beyond your control, but it creates tensions and stresses in the marriage relationship and things can crack a little bit or a lot. Last week, Pastor Ryan talked about this bowl. It's a Japanese art form where when when objects break, they actually take that object and they, and they, there's an art form where they take gold and they, they mold it back together using that gold, and the, the finished product is absolutely beautiful. It has actually made, it's got the character lines that we like in houses. I don't know if we like them in people so much, but the character lines, but it's actually stronger than before, and I want you to know that when you, when you make that covenant commitment to each other, when you take extreme ownership of what you can do, humanly speaking, then God steps in and does what only he can do and he restores and he forgives and he heals and after 40 or 50 years of that you're going to have a soulmate kind of relationship like none other this is my favorite passage when I do weddings now because I think it's so true we can talk about a lot of things at a wedding but the reality is you can't do it without God and it says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Can you, I'll just tell you, when, when you're in a true covenant marriage and you guys are like in it against the world, and I don't mean against the world, but you get the idea. I like that. There ain't nothing can stop you. There, 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 there's nothing better than that. Because you have somebody that believes in you and loves you and is fighting for you and for your marriage. But it says three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. See, we're here and when two people come together and when God is at the center, it's like a triangle. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. And I'll just tell you, when God is in the midst, like that broken bull. Every one of us are broken. We bring baggage into the marriage relationship. You bring baggage into, if you're living together, you're bringing baggage in, and it's gonna break stuff. Here's the thing, you can't fix it. You can't fix yourself, and you can't fix the other person. But when you're in a covenant marriage relationship, God's promise to you is that if you will, if you will commit to each other, a man and a woman, Joining as one, making that commitment, that promise, that formal commitment that I'm, I'm here and I'm going to take extreme ownership from whatever I, when you have two, two people like that and you say, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm trusting in you, God. I'm going to do it your way. I want you in the marriage. You're going to have a power to do the very thing that otherwise you can't do. You can't break a cord of three strands. Paul Jetter and I were talking, he was a founding pastor here at, at uh, the Pickwick campus, well, at, at the Valley, and uh, I remember talking one time, and we were talking about people living together and figuring out that whole thing, and figuring out marriage, and just lots of questions come with, with marriages, weddings. It's, weddings aren't as easy as they look sometimes, and we were just talking all that through, and I remember him saying, we were talking about this, we said, we've never seen, after we compared notes, we'd never seen a marriage fail where they had done the covenant marriage. A promise that no matter what, extreme ownership, man and a woman, making that commitment with God in the center. We've never seen one of those marriages fail. We've seen other marriages fail, but we've never seen that kind of marriage fail. Maybe it happens. I've never seen it. And he hadn't either. That, that's what God's word has to say about covenant marriage. That's his plan. That, that's how he designed it all. Now let's talk, take a look at you say, well, I don't know, I, I hear all that, that was written a couple thousand years ago, I get all that, so, so does it really apply today, and hey, by the way, haven't we come further than that, and it's still a lot of risk, I just don't know if I can take that kind of risk. Well, let's dive in. Here's the question: Does living together actually work? I, I want to just, and we're going to use secular data for this, not just secular. Barna is a Christian researcher, but we're going to use that and census data, and just look at the facts. The most common reason for living together: 84%. By the way, so we're talking, you know, close enough to everybody. 84%. Hey, we want to test compatibility. We want to test drive this thing and see if we're compatible for each other before we tie the knot. Because who knows? In this day and age. And here's the thing. I kind of get that sentiment because you know why? Because like a lot of people grow up with divorce. Their parents divorced. Their friend's parents divorced. They see the chaos. All you do is look at social media. It seems like every entertainer has divorced three or four. You know, and it's like, man, nothing lasts anymore. We can't take that kind of risk. And so I get the fear. I hear you. I feel you on that. And so people decide to live together. Because they don't want to take that risk. But I want you to see this. Couples who decide to move in together, only about half of them end up married in five years. Did you know that? See, the reality is, (laughs) if we look at the next few stats, let me put those on the screen. Approximately 40% of couples who are living together, cohabitating, will break up within the first three years of living together. And those who live together and finally get married have a 50% higher odds of getting a divorce. So did you know, rather than insulating your relationship from a split or from a divorce, you're actually greatly increasing the chances? I don't think that sounds like a happier, safer route to me. See, instead of a training ground for marriage, living together is actually a training ground for divorce. See, the lie is that, oh, it won't hurt as bad if we live together. So, if we decide to split up and go our own ways, it's not going to, yeah no big deal. It won't be as, but here's the thing I've discovered. Everybody living together is having sex. I, I think it's negligible those who aren't. Okay, so we'll just set that aside. One in a million, okay, get it. But the other 999,999 people are having sexual relationships when they're living together for the most part. That's what we're seeing. And so, here's the deal. Sexual intimacy, as we already talked about, creates this bond, this super glue that bonds two hearts and people together. And so when there's a split up, doesn't have to be a divorce, maybe they never did go to get married, but after three years, 40% are already split up, there's a brokenness, there's a ripping of the flesh that they never intended they never thought would happen to them because they were living together. They were just testing this thing out, kind of like a car. And by the way, marriage is not like a car. Just, just saying. So we, we need to know that. Like that, that's a bad metaphor. We might test drive a car and check out the parameter. Good deal. In marriage, it'll just end up breaking you. And here's the other thing. On top of all this, not only is it going to break you, but usually, often, there are kids involved. Whether they come from a previous marriage or whether they're part of the relationship that you now have, there are kids involved. And what you do is put them in a spot when you split up or when you divorce, that you put them in a place where they cannot ever totally be secure unless God has healed that in their life. But you put them in a bad place. They've got now something to overcome, a challenge that they didn't have before. Because you know what kids need most? A secure Loving, committed mom and dad. That's what they need. They don't need dance class. That's a plus. Food, yeah, that's pretty important too. But I'm talking about security. They will not thrive without that secure relationship. So now you bring that in and then you rip it away. Barna and some census data add um, this reality as well. Cohabitating couples report significantly lower levels of relationship satisfaction compared to married couples. They're just not as happy. They're not as satisfied with the relationship. It's a, these are real stats. They report lower levels of sexual satisfaction. Here's the deal: You got to be married to have great sex. That, that's that's what it's saying. So if you want to, you want to have great sex, get married. That's that's what it's saying. You're gonna have deeper levels of satisfaction. And remember, sexual intimacy isn't just the act. It's so much more. And once you understand that, the reality is, if you want to have a great sex life, you're going to be married. And then it says cohabitating couples are more likely to experience intimate partner violence, in other words, domestic kind of stuff, as compared to married couples. And then it says, now. Oh, I, I got ahead of myself. So these are, these are all the stats. And you say, well, but Pastor Andy, I, that's living together. And boy, that doesn't sound very good. But can it be much better on the married side? I've heard all these stats that say half the people that are going to get married are going to get divorced. And, and if they're in the church, it's no better. And I've heard all that stuff. So while, while living together doesn't look real good now, is married any better? Is, is being married any better? Well, let's, let's dive into that data, because what you've heard often, you know, you can make stats do anything you want. Well, they have. So, let's look at actual data here. Barna and Census data report that 70% of all adults living who have ever been married are still married to their original spouse. 70%. We say, that's way better than, okay, but what about the other 30%? Well, here's the deal. Everybody just assumes the other 30% were divorced, but it's not. Of the 30% who are still, who are not married, many of those lost their spouses. Like, they lost a spouse, so they didn't end up divorced, they end up widowed. So, the, the number that gets quoted all the time isn't reality. And you know this, if you attend church, your chances of divorce are 25 to 50 percent less, and there are a lot of nuances, a lot of other factors that come into that. That core of three stands, strands really does matter, because you can't do it on your own. You could take extreme ownership of your covenant marriage, and that's—you need two people who do. But even in our—even people that do that without God, when the brokenness comes and forgiveness needs to happen, we don't have forgiveness in us. We need God to empower our forgiveness, to help us forgive. We need God's power to make changes in our own lives so we can be the person our spouse needs. We need to come against some of the selfish desires that we have, and only God can do that. And so that's, that's the reality. Is that living together doesn't sound so safe anymore, does it? Like it sounds like a sure way to brokenness and pain. It sounds like a sure way to rip and flush away and damaging kids. But that's, that's the fact. So now let's go here. Where do we go from here? Let's say that maybe you're living together and you're like, well, what's my next? What do I do? I, I heard that. Or I've thought about living together. Well, what should I do instead? Well, let's take a look at that. I think first you have to decide, not slide. Yeah, if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me, yeah, we I met this girl and wow, pretty excited, and we started this relationship. You start going out and, and then it got physical, and then we decided to move in together. But now it's not going so well. Like they're not who I thought they were. And the truth comes out, there are all these issues, or they're not compatible, or they, yeah, I found out they're really they don't really love God. See, the reality is what people did was they slid into convenience rather than choose their spouse. Now, we're going to talk about soulmate coming up, so hang on to that. So a lot of, a lot of questions about it. Can you really find a soulmate? Or whatever? We're going to get there. But I'm going to challenge you to decide, not slide. See, what God really wants us to do is to choose a spouse, to look for somebody with the right attributes, with the right character, with the personality that, jives with ours, that likes to do some of the things we like to do, maybe not everything, and you pull it together, and you choose to make a covenant commitment to that person to take extreme ownership under the eyes of God with his power and messed around. That's, that's his plan. And so he wants you to decide, but too many slide. And when you slide into a relationship, you're not, you're not really making a good long-term decision. Because what happens in the midst of all that is sex. Got to say it again. It's right there, right? And because of that, your judgment is clouded. You choose not to see things. Because it's exciting. It's fun. There's some pleasure. Whatever. And, and so you just ignore this whole wealth of data that says this may not be a good idea. So we have to decide, not slide. And then if you're already living together, you need to make it right. Make it right simply means to, get, to make that covenant commitment. So if you're living together, you have to decide. You have to choose. Is, is this the person that I think I, I want to spend the rest of my life with? I've, we messed it up till now, but I want to make it right. So just make that choice and then we always ask people to stop having sex. We ask you to abstain while we do the premarital counseling to move you, and then we want you to get married pretty quick, because the temptation is going to be great, and, uh, and so we just, you know, if you need a longer runway, and you've just met, maybe it's going to, maybe you even have to, like there's some steps you need to take, and we ask you to repent of that, like to say, God, I know that wasn't your plan, and I want to do it your way until the wedding day. That, that's a we, we don't come and check. We don't knock on doors. You, you, you get the idea. That's between you and the Lord. Ultimately, all this is between you and God. We can share what we believe God is telling us to tell you, but you, you have to decide on your own. It's your responsibility. You have to take stream ownership of your own life. Do you know that? Stop making excuses for yourself. Stop, stop saying, well, I don't know. I just kind of no." God has given you the ability to choose with His help, with His power. And then, let me say this. You know how Paul used to say, well, this is is me. This is Paul, not the Lord. Well, this is Andy, not the Lord. If there are children involved, I think you've already chosen. Because I think it's that critical. Unless there's just something majorly wrong, I think you've chosen your partner. Because I think that changes the whole equation. Now this is Andy, I, I don't know if I can find that scripturally, but I believe there's such an ethic that says when we bring a life into the world, we're responsible. And, and I've made my choice now about who I'm gonna marry, and I'm gonna make them my soulmate, because you can do that, God can do that, I believe that. Might be harder, you might have more baggage in the relationship than you want, but I believe that's where we're at. So you have to make it right. Get married, break up the relationship. Maybe that's going to happen. There will be some tearing. But if they're not the right person, no kids are involved, that that may be where you're at. Make it right. Now, maybe, maybe you're not living together yet, and you're trying to decide, should I? Become friends first. Here's what I've discovered about marriage and relationship and marriage. You know the ones that go the distance, like the 30 and 40 and 50 years and don't quit at seven? that's the stat they're friends you see they've taken time to build a friendship like they actually like doing stuff together and being together and i want you to know that when you come to the hard spots in life and things break you look like that bull without the gold you're in that moment friendship is what motivates people to figure out a solution like it gives them the motivation to do the right thing I've been in a lot of relationships, or not, not I haven't, but I've seen and worked with a lot of relationships where they didn't have that friendship. And so when, when the tough times came, when forgiveness had to be made, or when they had to work on themselves, or work on the relationship, or it didn't go like they went, and all these kind of things, like, like they didn't say it this way, but they didn't have a friendship. And you could almost read, I can find sex somewhere else. See, that ain't enough. It's not enough. And so here's my encouragement to you. Court someone. That that, that means spend time and get to know their attributes and their character. Spend time with them and you'll begin to discover who they really are. And do they really love God or they just put that label out there so you might keep going with them. And build the relationship with them. Because when you build the friendship, you're going to build a great marriage. That's the foundation that you build all the other things on my granddaughter olivia she loves jello so we made jello the other week and we put the jello in the fridge you know it takes a while to set up terrible thing like if you want it right now you just she pulled the jello out right now she's 4 she pulled the jello out and started lapping it up we're like we're, what's going on here and this jello you know it's like soup it's all over the table and it, it's just a disaster you can't even put whipped cream on that kind of thing i'm just telling you totally wrong when, when when you introduce sex into into the relationship the relationship hasn't had time to set yet and it will cloud everything else and it will it will it will actually retard the formation of the friendship and so if you want to have this soul mate kind of relationship. We're like, it's you against the world, and you know they got your back, and you got theirs, and then you got to build the friendship. Don't go to sex right away. Not only does God say it's a bad idea, and it's going to break you and them, and it will, but in some ways, yes, God can help you overcome that, but you're never going to let the relationship set and that's what God wants for you so that when you get to the hard spots and God weaves you back together and restores and heals and for, helps you forgive then like you'll be stronger than and more beautiful than ever Th- that that's God's plan so you got to become friends first and then honestly evaluate is this the person like I ought to spend my life with and then choose a follower of Jesus see you can do it all right sort of you can do the covenant you can do a commitment to the other person you can take extreme ownership but without the power of god you are not going to you're not going to have the power to heal what you can't fix because there's stuff you can't fix here's what it says As Paul again writes that church in Corinth, I wouldn't want to be them. Like, they messed a lot of stuff up. I'm just telling you. (laughs) Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not a partnership. That's war. You ever seen two people together and they're in war? I hate those counseling sessions. Just saying. Because it ain't about getting this thing fixed. It's about war. And that's what happens when somebody's not a believer. You get war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? See, the greatest greatest force, the greatest strength, the greatest center of your marriage relationship is Jesus. He's the one who heals. He's what gives you commonality. Like, you'll you never have what God has, has created for you without God in the marriage. And do you know your spouse doesn't have what you need? Now, I think God's going to pour it through them, but they don't have what you need. And so if you marry a non-Christian, you're going to come and say, well, I'm not getting what I need. That, that's because they don't have God in them, and you need God. You need what he can do, and he was going to pour that through this other person, but, but they're not a believer, so they don't know anything about that. And so there's going to be a deficit in your life. And when you court someone, when you take time to get to know them, you'll find out if they're a follower of Jesus. I'm amazed at how many, like, when you get into the sexual relationship, you're like, ah, this is too much fun. I mean, let's just be straight up. They're having some fun, and then they got to pay the due. And it comes due. That's, that's, that's why God says, i got a plan. And it's going to be good. Now I want to share one last thing with you. Some people say, well, I want a soulmate. I can't get the clicker to work again. So if you could take me to the next slide. This is too good. I can't rely on the clicker here. What if God's design is that you find a spouse, you look for the right character, you look for the right attributes. You find someone you're attracted to. All these things. And you decide, instead of slide, what if God's design is that you find such a person and then you make a covenant commitment to them, take extreme ownership, let him in the center to empower and be the foundation of that marriage relationship. And what if he wants to create a soulmate. What if he wants you to create a soulmate rather than you trying people on for size and seeing if you can find a soulmate? See, God's in the business of molding people together. And I, I have people who will argue that, that, that lots of different ways. Did God just create one person for you? You know, I don't, maybe, I don't know i all I know is Paul is my soulmate. Like, like we, like that, I'm going to do war with her or against whatever. I just want you know, that, to, that's it. I, I, I liked what I saw. She had the right character, right attributes in a lot of ways. And I just said, okay, let's do this thing and let's make that commitment. We didn't get it all right, by the way. Wish we had. Probably some of the hurts and the struggles we've been through have been because of, because of not doing some things the right way. But God healed all that. He can heal you if you'll repent and, and begin to do it his way. But some people say, well, there isn't just one person in the world, and you've got you to gotta find the right person. And I don't know if you're going to find the right soulmate, but I do know this. God will want you to create a soulmate with that person that you choose. And it's a pretty big deal because, a pretty big field because you get everybody that's a follower of Jesus, and it says a man and a woman, one flesh. That's the pool, like that's a pretty big pool. And he says, go for it. And when you you commit, and you ask God in the center, and you take extreme ownership, you're going to create that soul mate kind of relationship, build on a friendship that will go the distance. And yes, there may be cracks and there'll be brokenness because that's any marriage relationship, but God will. He will put the gold in place. you will be stronger than ever before. And that will bring the greatest joy and the greatest peace and the greatest companionship that you'll ever be able to find. That's God's plan. Let's pray. Father, just pray for... Each person who's in this room, who's online, where, wherever they're at, Lord, you know that there's this, there's this hole inside of them for relationship. There's this longing to be connected. And Father, you created marriage for that very purpose. You saw that, that man was alone. You said it wasn't good. Father, you created us for relationship, relationship with other people, friends, and, uh, and peers, but also relationship with one person that could, we could be intertwined at the most, deepest level, and we could do life together and share all things together. Father, I just pray for each person that you would bless them that way. If if it's your will that they be married, that you would bless them that way, that you would bring that kind of relationship, that you would give them eyes to see the person that you want to have for their spouse. That you would that you would help them resist the temptation to to do anything sexually that would that would break them for the future marriage. That would Break someone else. That would that would cause baggage that's going to impact them and their kids for generations. Father, would you help them to resist that and to trust you? It comes down to trust in your plan. Father, I pray for those people that are persons that are already living together, and this has hit them in a place where they say, "I got to change. I, I I I see the stats. I hear God's plan. I want I want to make it right. God's." God, that, that conviction is in my heart. I know I need to make a step. Father, would you help them to have that honest conversation with their partner, to come to the place where they choose and where they decide, not slide, where they make the right choice. Father, if they're children, would you help them give them wisdom beyond anything I've got? beyond anything anybody here has. Father, you are, we need you to lead. We, we know that we can't make that decision on our own, but would you lead us in a place where those children will be secure and be able to thrive? Father, would you help us to love those kids enough to make the right choice, whatever that is? And I don't pretend to know, but you do. And Father, would you land these relationships in the right place? And Father, we know that you created marriage, in part, because it's a window to the love relationship that you want with your people and your church. Father, would you help us to live out marriage in a way that points people to who you are and to your great love for us? That's what we ask and that's what we want. And us just pray that blessing over each one here. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app today to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you or changed your life, share it with a friend. Because changed lives, change lives.